Good evening, and for my third interview, uh, I would like to introduce you, or actually, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm Stuart Johnson. I'm a former police officer, now crime writer. I live in Edinburgh. I am the author of the Don Collier book series, um, of which there are two currently, but the third is in uh, production. I um, my personal tastes, I guess, are crime, but uh, also I like fantastical things. I I love uh, Neil Gaiman and China Mayville, these kind of authors. Um, big fan of uh, Margaret Atwood, um, and uh, I'm pleased to be here and to speak to you. And I'm pleased to be speaking to you. <laughs> um, did you always know that you wanted to be a writer? Yes and no. So it's the first thing I ever wanted to do. I remember telling my teachers when I, I remember when I realised that, that real people write books. I know that sounds strange, but I think when you're, when you're very young, you think that demigods must write books, you know, that they come from some mystical place. And then you realise that real people write books. And so I, I decided early on that I love books so much that that's what I was going to do for a living. But when you tell your teacher at primary school that you want to be an author, you might as well be telling them that you want to be an astronaut or a football player and, and they'll tell you to stick to the sums and uh, by all means write stories, but um, you'll be realistic about what you want to do for a living. And, but I wrote stories um, as a kid into my teens. Um, most of them were Tolkien ripoffs. And, uh, but no, I, I love writing stories and, and creating worlds. And, um, and it never went very far, but um, I did love it. But then, as as things do, I lost my way with it in my teens, and um, I didn't do particularly brilliantly at school. And um, I ended up coming out, coming away with. Um, I ended up going to college, and then um, again underperforming at college, and I just never knew what I wanted to do. And um, the idea of writing it sort of left me by that point. It never seemed like a viable. Um, you know, thing to pursue. So I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, when that happens, sometimes strange ideas drop into your head. And one of those was join the police. So uh, what was then Strathclyde Police, so the, the police around the Glasgow area were recruiting. And I thought they would see right through me that I, I, wasn't, I was no good for that sort of role. Um, but I applied and um, at each step of the way I expected to fail, but no, they, they kept asking me to come back um, for tests and interviews and then I had my final interview and they offered me a job and suddenly I was um, in uniform, terrified and traipsing the streets just outside Glasgow and um, wondering what the hell I was doing there. Um, again, you know, the idea of, uh, of writing, you, you know, was a, was a far off thing. Uh, I was a big reader. I've always been, I've always been a big, big reader and um, a massive fan of, of fiction and genre fiction. Um, and so cut to, I guess, six or seven years within a police career and I, I was falling out of love with the job a little bit. And um, I, at the time I had just, with my then partner, I just started a business in Edinburgh, uh, a little shop for dogs in the Stockbridge area of Edinburgh. And um, I guess I was waiting for a point where I was, I was secure enough in the idea that the business was going to do well enough that I could leave the police. And I also, also began to have aspirations about going back to education. At one point in the police, I was working in a, a department called operational planning, which is working with the bosses on sort of strategic plans for the police. And I realized at that time that I could write, you know, that I was getting chief inspectors coming to me to write emails for them. And, um, I was the I was the the office scribe and um, I was yeah I was penning uh, long um, incident reports and uh, and I, I had to write a ten thousand word presumption of life report um, which I can't talk too much about but uh, it was a part of a, a grim piece of writing and um, and so I thought yeah I when I left the police when eventually I, I got to a comfortable enough point that I thought I could leave that. Um, and, and working in a dog shop full time, which is great fun, and um, putting the rose tinted glasses back on, pretending the world's a nice place again, 
after 10 years in the police, I, uh, I also wanted to go back to education. So I started a degree in English, English literature and, um, and in the second year, I had to decide whether I wanted to stick with English literature um, solely or whether I wanted to go down the creative writing route. And so the stories came back. I was, I was writing short stories for uni and, um, and I'm not the biggest academic. I'm the first to admit that the academic essays were doing okay. You know, I was passing and, um, but it was the, it was the stories I was writing that were really getting the good marks. And there was a real sense that I guess I had something. And so I kept writing and I kept writing and kept writing. And some of those short stories did some really strange things um, very quickly after I started writing. Um, and I was encouraged by my tutors to start sending stuff out. And you're only talking about you know, a couple of years after I, I'd taken it back up again. Um, I'd written one short story for uni. Um, the short story was called The Gospel According to John. Now, John was my tutor constable in the, in the police. Uh, and my first novel, Out in the Cold, he is, he's, all, he's in there all the way through as John, because I never thought anybody would want to publish these stories. So I never bothered to change his name. And I'll come back to that later. It almost got me in trouble. And um, I, uh, yeah, I've written this short story um, about an incident in the police in my first year. And um, I got the best mark that I'd, I'd received throughout my university career. And... Um, it just so happened that I was on the um, mailing list for the Edinburgh Book Festival. And the very next email telling me that my essay had been returned was an invitation from by the book festival inviting local authors, Edinburgh-based authors, to send in short stories because they were looking for emerging Edinburgh writers. Now, I'm not from Edinburgh, but I lived in Edinburgh, so I qualified. And so I sent in this short story, The Gospel According to John, and I was thrilled to find that they, um, they wanted me in. They, they um, selected me as an emerging writer in 2015. They sent me on a public speaking course um, because they were about to throw me on stage at the Edinburgh Book Festival, somewhere I'd been going for years and seeing some of the biggest stars in literature. And suddenly I was going to be on stage and I was terrified. But I got through it and I told my story and that story was then published in, in Gutter magazine, issue 14, um, which is a, a kind of prominent uh, literary magazine here in Scotland. And so I was thrilled, you know, I was, I was so young in my, my writing career and suddenly I, I was selected by UNESCO and uh, I, was, I was published. Um, and so I kept going and um, then something really strange happened. I... Uh, so I kept in touch with everybody at UNESCO and we would meet up once a month uh, for a literary salon, which was an excuse to drink free wine and, and complain about uh, the agents who were ignoring us and the publishers that didn't want to know about our stories. And um, so we would get drunk once a month and we would exchange ideas about um, funding opportunities or competitions that come up and so on. I've never been much of a competition writer because I'm not a literary writer. I'm the first to admit I'm not a poetic writer. I'm not, I wish I was, but I'm not. Uh, I do what I do and I'm happy with that. So, but this, this particular month, they were talking about a competition that had been set up by the Guardian um, uh, newspaper. And Stephen King had just released his uh, short story collection, The Bizarre of Bad Dreams. And, um, and I love Stephen King. I always have, my mum was the biggest fan. And um, so we were all gonna send in short stories. You know, the, the competition was set up he didn't have to be published um, and the only criteria was that it had to be inspired by a quotation from one of the stories that, that was there and so we all sent in short stories and I completely forgot about it and then about um, a month later I got an email from the, the Guardian newspaper saying congratulations you've been shortlisted for this competition from the 900 odd stories that were selected it was they were reduced down to six and mine was one of those and those six those six stories were being sent to Stephen King to read, uh, and he would then he was then select a winner, and you know it was insane. It was insane, and um, I've been reading Stephen King all my life, and suddenly that week I'm going to work in my doggy shop, thinking, is he reading my story now? And uh, you know, and anyway, I got an email back then from a lovely lady called Philippa Pride, who I still speak to at Hodder and Stoughton, his um, his publisher here in the UK, 
saying that um, thanks for being involved in the competition. He didn't select your story as the overall winner, unfortunately, but he loved it. And here's what you had to say about it. And she links in this email from Stephen King talking about my story, which is one of my treasured things in the world. And um, it was just such a thrill. And I wrote back to Philippa saying, you know, don't, don't apologize. You know, this has been amazing. I can really use this in my CV. I, I, I'd previously written a novel that didn't go anywhere. My approach letter uh, to agents wasn't particularly impressive, but suddenly things were starting to change. And, and then I thought that was that. And uh, Philippa went on to say that Stephen's sending you something in the post. I hope you enjoy it. And, um, and I have something to show you. I have a prop. Hold on. Am I going to be really jealous now? A few weeks later, a copy of his new book turned up. Um, I don't know if this is going to be backwards on the screen. Whether you can that is it. fine. And uh, inside is a personal message from the man himself. You can just about read that. To Stuart Johnson, uh, thank you for your wonderful story. Good luck with your future writing, Stephen King. So this is, um, you know, if, if my house was starting to burn right now, this is the thing I would go to first um, to save. So yeah, that was, that was amazing. And this is all came from short stories that I was writing for uni. And um, I continued writing in short stories, but I was also working a novel, on a novel at the time. Um, so sort of loosely based on some ideas, some, some experiences from my uh, first year in the police. Um, it was probably more like a horror novel at the time, but the protagonist was a police officer. And so there was a lot of procedural stuff in there. And um, so my approach letter then, when I finished this novel, my approach letter to agents suddenly carried a bit more water. And I started off with agents in London, um, you know, trying to be as ambitious as possible. I think I'll start with the big agents in London and then we'll see where we go. And, um, and within weeks, um, I was thrilled that um, an agent in London got back in touch saying that they were they're reading the story and uh, don't talk to anybody else. Let me let me finish this. And um, anyway, you know, flick to two weeks later, I'm on a plane to London um, to for a meeting uh, with uh, my agent, my now agent Joanna. And um, she had big ideas to, to change the story from a horror novel to a crime novel, uh, given my, my past experiences. And um, and I think that the procedural elements of the novel were stronger than the, than the sort of horror elements. And so I, I spent the next year tidying it up and on her advice, um, changing certain elements. And then we went looking for a publisher and um, and I'm doing all the talking, I'm sorry. Uh, you carry on. <laughs> But this is this is the story. So uh, yeah, and then we had a few offers on the book, and there was one standout offer from um, some lovely people at uh, at Allison and Busby who saw this as a, a series of books. So I was thrilled with the idea of um, not only having this one published, but being able to write more. And um, and so yeah, so to twenty twenty um, out in the cold came out this one, and. Um, then in July this year, the follow-up, um, Into the Dark, this one was released. This one's set in Edinburgh. And um, it's, been, it's been amazing. And uh, I'm now writing books and it's just, it's been a blur since starting writing short stories at uni to now. And we're now working on book three in the series. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been amazing. And yeah, and uh, as you're aware, I was at Bloody Scotland last week and I'm reading an excerpt from the first book and uh, it's been fantastic. I've, I've, I've had a ball, despite the fact that it's all come out during um, lockdowns and so on. It's been nothing but fantastic and I'm, I'm, having, I'm having a great time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You were the um, one of the spotlight authors at Bloody Scotland, which must have been pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. Um, that all came about. I was speaking to my agent. No, no, I was just speaking to the publisher. And they'd had an email from uh, somebody at Bloody Scotland. Apparently, um, out in the cold, um, only missed out on being shortlisted for the McIlvany Prize by a, a small distance. I had no idea that it was even being considered. No idea. But it was one of the organisers said, would Stuart be interested in one of our spotlight slots? Um, and suggested that I, that I get in touch. And so I did. And so I was invited along. And, um, you know, the idea is that you have a, an up-and-coming author and they, they place them with a very established author 
um, shortly before they go on. And, and I was thrilled that um, they placed me in front of Kathy Reichs. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a great thrill. Um, particularly speaking in front of a, a live audience. Again, I haven't done it since the Edinburgh Book Festival in 2015. Um, so I was nervous, but uh, not, not nearly as nervous as I was in Edinburgh. And I guess um, the more you do these things, the more confidence it builds. And uh, it was, um, I was, I had a great time. Yeah, it was really, really lovely. Yeah, it was fun. And then you get all us weirdos coming up to you after and asking if you want to be interviewed and you're just like, oh my God, I don't know what's going on, but sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, no, I, it's, um, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of people have books out. And so I think you have to grab every opportunity to, uh, to be heard. And, you know, the publisher I'm with, they may not be the biggest publisher. They don't have the, um, the marketing machines that the Penguin Random Houses of the world do. So you have to, you know, enjoy the fact that anybody's interested in speaking to me, then absolutely, I'm interested in speaking to them. Um, I'm happy to chat. As you, the fact that you probably said five words in this interview shows that uh, <laughs> I'm always happy to chat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's fine. I always say it makes my life easier. You carry on. Mm. I'll just sit back and chill and you just talk. It's fine. <laughs> You'll see that, but it was six o'clock in the morning. You'd be, you'd be wishing you hadn't said that. But no, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to chat about, uh, about these stories. It's, um, I still can't really believe that it's happening. Um, you know, there's a certain amount, amount of imposter syndrome, I guess. But um, I'm just, I'm thrilled that I'm here. And uh, if it all ends tomorrow, then I have... I have these books and I have Stephen King and uh, I have enough chat to board dinner guests for the rest of my life. <laughs> but I'm sure that's not going to happen. I'm sure you're <laughs> going to keep going and write loads more. I hope so. I hope so. And I will read yours at some point, which I am proud to have a signed copy of. Yeah, thank you. Not quite the same as having one at Stephen King's, but it's fine. I'm, <laughs> I'm fine with that. It's not jealous. Not well, I, 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 I sent a copy to him via um, this lady, Philippa Pride. I don't know if he has it, but um, I sent him a copy of the first one to say thank you because he's part of how I got started. So I wonder if he has it wearing his Bucky Thistle top and, uh, <laughs> and reading out in the cold, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. People ask me, because obviously I was there and stuff, about um, what it, he was like. I'm like, him and Lynn were Barkley were comparing toilet stories. Like, genuinely, they were comparing and they're looking at me like I'm insane. I'm like, I swear to God, Lynn were Barkley ran a trailer park and he was telling Stephen King. <laughs> yeah, I, I still don't think they believe me, but I'm like, I swear that's what they were talking about. <laughs> nutcases it was fun I take it you saw that did you see Stephen King speak I did yeah yeah it's um I always love hearing him speak um I think he's at the point now where he's so famous that he's allowed to get very tangential yeah uh, you know he's earned that right so uh so that's fine so yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I think that's the first time I've seen him speak live but yeah it's awesome that's worth it that's that was the reason I went all the way to Scotland. Oh, okay, so you're a big Stephen King fan. Yeah, yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah I, I am too. Like I say, it was, it was a thrill um, to be part of. Yeah, so actually, I didn't even mention part of that story. I forgot. So while we're talking about this, um, being involved in that competition, I missed this whole part of that story. So, uh, so he sent this, and, and that was great. And then I've got another prop. Hold on. So another month or so after all of this stuff, this competition with the Guardian competition came out, I got another email from uh, Philippa to say that normally Stephen hates these kinds of competitions. He has to read through dozens of crappy stories to find one passable one. But because they had a team involved uh, reading the 900 stories of whittling down to six, he felt that the six stories that they shortlisted for the competition were um, of particularly good quality, which was nice to hear. And um, he also felt that they, they worked um, as a collection. So apparently on his suggestion, uh, this came out. This is uh, six scary stories selected and introduced by Stephen King. 
Um, in 2015, I found myself in a short story collection with Stephen King. Uh, he wrote a foreword, and um, and then the six of us authors are in this book. Uh, this is available in hardback and paperback in the US. In the UK, it's um, audiobook and ebook only. Um, but yeah, so my first major publication was with Stephen King. There you go. There's my Stephen King story. Um, <laughs> so that was a thrill, and I can't believe if I, I missed that part out in my story. Um, that's, I know, that's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. <laughs> it's kind of important. So, yeah, I, um, so I've got a lot to thank um, Mr. King for, and I hope one day um, that I get, to, I get to do just that in person. Um, it's probably unlikely, but um, that'd be my dream to say, to say thank you, um, because it all started with him. And um, so me standing on stage at, in Stirling um, with, with, my, with my book, um, all starts with um, Mr. Stephen King. There you go. So you've started your career like way up here. So yeah, it's, it's a weird one. It's all gone in reverse, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I start off with possibly the number one best-selling author in the world and a book with him, but then I have to come all the way back down and get started in my own right. But that's that was fine, you know. Um, that's a thrill as well as going out on my own and um and not having the back of you know Stephen King um so no it was lovely um and but being part of that project was was so important not just to kind of get an agent involved and so on but it really gave me the confidence to it suggested I, I had something that I knew what I was doing to a degree and it vindicated the time that I was taking to write these stories when I should have been doing more productive things. And, uh, you know, so I, so yeah, I have this, this lovely existence in Edinburgh now. I, um, I have my little shop for dogs. I have a lovely team that look after the place. Um, and I do deliveries around Edinburgh. Um, I'm, I'm carrying big sacks of dog food around Edinburgh in the mornings. Uh, and then when I'm done there in the afternoon, I find a cafe near to where I live. And um, I got on with writing my, my police stories and, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm very lucky. Yeah, it's great. And so you said you're on book three, so you're planning to carry on writing more and more? I will I will keep writing until they tell me to stop. Uh, absolutely. So I'm on book three. Um, I have a I have a sort of plan for, a se the, the, for this series to continue. Um, and so in the second book, we have, well, in the first book we have uh, Don Collier the main character he's in a, a village called Strathardar where everything takes place I'm from the northwest of Scotland from a tiny town called Dalmally just outside of Oban and Strathardar is loosely based on that hometown of mine and um, I changed the title because I'm not always kind about the place and you know I kind of want to go back now and again but you know announcing that on interviews probably um and does that theory, that, that, that tactic. <laughs> but, um, but in the second book, we find Don moving to Edinburgh, um, his, his exploits find him there. Um, and the third book, we're back in Edinburgh. And um, I can't say too much without spoiling the second book, but uh, he is investigating a series of drug deaths, um, which nobody really takes too much attention of in the beginning. Um, but then suddenly it becomes a, a big thing and uh, he's at the centre of the investigation. And um, yeah, and there's a sort of second part of the story where we're following a, a, young, um, a young man who's got caught up in all of this and he's kind of fighting for his life. And their, their two stories are linked uh, and they'll come together at some point in the book. So it's been, it's been good getting started on a new one. Um, it's always hard starting a novel. It's, it's easier once you get into it and you can really get into the flow. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm getting there now. And um, yeah, and so we know that the book three is coming out and we're still to chat to the publisher about um, where things will go ultimately, but I'm hoping there'll be more books to come. Fingers crossed. Are you finding it easier um, now you're on book three to write and go through the whole editing process and stuff? And do you know your characters better to write them? Certainly, I know the characters better, that's for sure. Um, they're very three-dimensional in my head now. Um, we have a, a certain character in the first book, Rowan, who I was really fond of. 
but I just didn't see her taking part in the second book, but she's come back for the third. So it's lovely to have Rowan back. And um, so that, that that's certainly easier. In terms of the editing, um, yeah, I kind of edit as I go. Um, although usually when I get to the end of the first draft, I think I have something that's almost finished. And then you start rereading and you think, oh no, no, there's so much work to be done. So that'll probably happen again. Uh, every time I go through the process, I think I'm, I'm so much better at it that there'll be far less to do. Um, but no, undoubtedly there'll be lots to do there. But, um, but my, my, my favorite part of the process is the blank page. Um, I know that different writers have different preferences. I know that a lot of people like going back through a novel and the fine tuning um, but no, I'm a big lover of the blank page. I, I love um, seeing what's going to come out because sometimes I don't really know until you get to the end of the day and you look back and you think, wow, uh, who knew that was coming? And um, so that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the biggest thrill for me is the blank page, yeah. And would you consider setting your books outside Scotland? I don't see why not. Um, I think when you have a, a strong central character, um, particularly in a job like the police, which um, although Police Scotland is a sort of single unit, I mean, I, when I worked in the police, I worked with police officers from other areas um, on different things. You have cross-border um, investigations all the time. You have, uh, you know, criminals don't respect borders, unfortunately. So, um, so I don't see why not. Um, if it's an excuse to go somewhere nice and do some research, then why not? Um, at the moment, he's definitely, you know, he's, um, he's finding his feet as an investigator. Um, I think one thing I did slightly differently than a lot of authors do is that I started Don's story when he was very early in his career. And the opening chapter of the first book is, is Don Collier in uniform um, uh, in his first year as a police officer. That, that first chapter actually, um, I don't know if you remember from when I stood up in front of the crowd and I explained that the first chapter of the first book is based very much on an incident that I attended in my first year, something that haunted me and um, I knew that I would have to get down on paper. And um, I thought that would be a short story, but when I, when I wrote it down, it really much felt like a, a jumping off point for something bigger and so it then became the novel. And um, so we start John's, John's police career right at the beginning, which I think is a bit unusual for a crime novel. Normally you have a kind of hardened DI or a DCI somewhere in the middle or towards the end of their career. But um, I, weren't, I, weren't, I wanted my officer to be uh, in uniform. For me, the most dynamic part of my police career, and I worked on CID for a little while, um, but the most dynamic area of policing is uniform. Uh, you, you're a slave to the radio you go, you're told, and you don't know what you're going into. No matter how well described it is in the radio, it, 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 you know, it very seldom resembles whatever it is you end up attending. So that's a really dynamic part of policing. And um, I, wanted, I wanted that to be part of my stories because you don't see it again, you don't see that often in, in crime fiction, um, off, you know, uniformed officers. It's often the uh, reactionary CID that attend cases and, and then you unravel from you know working backwards and that's usually the way crime novels um, take shape. I'm not saying that that won't happen with future novels but um, certainly um, I like the idea of being at ground zero when something happens and then you know uh, working the case from there um, because that was my experience with the police. In my 10 years that was the majority of what I was doing and um, it, was, uh, it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, I imagine you have tons of interesting stories and not many of which you could share, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, I, I, or certainly I need to change them well enough that I can share them or I can certainly put them down on paper. Um, <laughs> I mentioned earlier that uh, before we start, started the interview that um, my tutor constable um, in the police was a guy called John. John was a lovely man. He was, uh, he, he still is lovely. He's not gone anywhere. He just retired. That's why the past tense. Um, so John, John was 55 or 54 when I joined the police as a 25-year-old. So we were absolutely opposite ends of the career. At that time, it was a 30-year career. So John, so Don, John was um, in the last two years of, of his career when I started. So I had John for my entire probation period, the two years. And uh, 
and we formed a lovely relationship. Um, he taught me very much about not just to be a good police officer, a moral police officer, but also to be a nice person. Um, and yeah, it was very much a sort of father um, figure to me, John. And um, so I was, I was really fond of him. And so when I started writing the story, this is a long time before anybody knew who I was. And um, even a long time before Stephen King entered my life, uh, I'd written, written this, I started writing this story and I didn't even bother to change John's name because why should I, you know, if it isn't going to be published, it's easier for me to see him as John. So I kept him as John and, and I kind of forgot about it. And, you know, I, I was write, writing and rewriting and rewriting. Eventually the publisher got involved and weeks, literally a couple of weeks before it went to print, I got an email from Alison and Busby um, saying, oh, we were speaking to your agent and, um, and she was saying that, that John's a real person. Now I thought they thought this was going to be some interesting anecdote that they could uh, use in their marketing or something. And I said, yeah, yeah, John, John is absolutely a real guy, uh, you know. Um, and they said, yeah, legal of being in touch. And, um, you know, although I don't use his surname, he's so well described in the book, or so hopefully accurately described in the book that they felt this was a problem. And um, just to make sure that you have John permission to, the, to which point I had to admit that I hadn't spoken to John in 15 years. Uh, John was long retired and, you know, and I was long retired even. Um, not retired, I left, I'm not that old. Um, I, so I said, look, what, I, I have no idea where John is in the world. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't even sure if he was alive. Uh, so um, they said, yeah, this is a problem. We could end up with, uh, looking at last minute rewrites if we can't get John's permission. So I went on to Facebook looking for John and, uh, and there he was on Facebook. Of all things, John was such a Luddite. I, I couldn't believe I found him on Facebook. So I got in touch with John, sent him a message saying, hi, how are you doing? Some interesting things have been happening with me. Any chance we can have a chat? This is between lockdowns one and two. So we we're allowed to travel. And um, I went out to visit John at his home in Lanark. And um, I had to let him know that he was the character in the story. And um, would he be okay with that? And, uh, and he was okay with it. And in fact, I think he was really flattered. Because um, although I'm quite honest about John's physical appearance in the book, um, I'm also very honest about his, um, his character and uh, his warmth and, and all those attributes that I uh, tried to learn from. So yeah, uh, I, I, I reacquainted with my, my tutor constable after all those years, because I had to because of legal problems. <laughs> And uh, but it was lovely to see him again, and um, uh, it was thrilling to give him a copy of the book and to say thank you for all those all those years of teaching me to be a nice guy. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Yeah, I bet he was thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you snuck any of the um, funny stories into the books yet? <laughs> oh yes, there's plenty of those. There's plenty of uh, there's plenty of truth in the pages of the book. Um, there's enough changes that I can't get myself into trouble. Um, famous last words, right? But um, there's, a, there's a lot of lot of truth in those stories. Uh, the character of Rowan in, in the first book is very much based on my friend Stephanie um, from the police. But she's aware, she's read the book, and she's happy with that. Um, but there's a lot of stories in there that um, are, are based very much in truth. Um, yeah, it made the first book pretty easy to write because um, anytime I was searching for what happened next and I had a story to kind of to pop in there. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I worked with a lot of great people in the place. I, I met a few bad apples as well, and they're also in the book, um, but I won't name names. Um, so I had a whole, whole range of characters just ready to go. Um, I didn't have to rely on fiction too much to write the first book. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd, I was able to rely on um, a lot of my experiences from certainly from those for those first for that first book. Yeah, sure. And did you still have to do a lot of research, or was it just your own experiences? Yeah, no. Unfortunately, I've been out of the police long enough that research is a really big thing. And in fact, if you look at the uh, the acknowledgement sections of each of the books. There's various names mentioned because I have to go um, begging for details. 
And then moving into the third book now, we're into a sort of different territory with mm -hmm. Don as an investigator now rather than Uniform. Um, and I'm having to beg for information mm -hmm. from departments that I never really previously had too much to do with. So it's trickier, but we're getting there. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to people now uh, with, uh, with a lot of emails and a lot of begging and a lot of sending out copies of the book <laughs> uh, <laughs> to get people to help me because um, I have an idea where this investigation is going to go and unfortunately it then takes me out of my realm of experience and so um, I, I think when I think if if I'm going to you know push this idea that I I am an ex-police officer so you can expect some authenticity then I think I have to go that bit further um, when things go out with as I say that, that realm of experience I have to work that bit harder to make sure that that, that authenticity is there and um, I've read so many crime novels that don't really resemble my experience as a police officer. So I, I, I don't want to fall into that trap of, of pure fiction. I, I want to keep it um, authentic. And so research is a big, big part of it. Um, before we started recording, you said that you uh, read a lot of different genres. So would you consider writing in any of those? Yes, and I have, and I do. Um, I think much to my agent's uh, dismay. Um, so no, I do. I I I, I read um, for every crime novel that I read. I maybe read another three or four other things. Um, and yeah, horror, dystopia, um, fantasy, uh, or new weird is a, a kind of uh, a kind of new category that kind of encircles a lot of authors that I really like. And, and this kind of stuff. I, I love reading all of this kind of thing. And, and even if the published stuff um, doesn't kind of fully resemble that sort of writing, I think I take a lot from reading a lot of this stuff. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think you really need to, if you, to stretch yourself as a writer. I think you really need to stretch yourself as a reader. Um, I, I don't want to read crime fully and then write crime fully. I, I want to experiment with other things, even if not, nothing gets published. Um, I, I'm very sure that by trying these other avenues and, and reading these other things that it, that it maybe gives an extra dimension to my own writing. Um, and throughout the novels, for, for example, in the first two novels, there's a very light element of the supernatural or the uncanny that, 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 that appears in, in these two books. And I want to continue that um, you know, I don't want to turn off crime writers, uh, crime readers, by introducing too much of the supernatural. But um, I like the idea that um, so that in, in this case, for example, the our, our main character has has a lot of intuition. It's what makes him a good police officer. But now and again, his intuition seems to spike. You know, it seems to be off the chart, and um, it's what makes him stand out as a police officer. And um, and it gives me an element to play with um, of, of, of genre fiction that I, that I really enjoy reading. Um, so yeah, I think Mr. Stephen King is, is, is following me into, into my books as well. I'm a big fan. Um, and so having a little element of the supernatural to play with, along with what is otherwise pretty hard-nosed um, police procedural stuff, um, you know, where you can expect to find out a lot about, a lot about how police officers not only work but also live. Um, again, it's not a, a lot of what you'll see in crime novels where you'll have, you know, the a pretty two-dimensional investigator. I also wanted to kind of show what the impact of a job like the police is has in your personal life, and um, because it's huge, it's massive. You, you can't get involved. You can't. You can't do well in a job like that without really throwing yourself into it, um, which involves shifts and it involves dealing with the worst things that society can throw at you. And if, you know, if you meet someone um, who's been in the police for a long time and they tell you that that, that hasn't had an effect on their psyche or, or on their character, then they're not being entirely truthful because it can't, it's impossible. And um, and so and so writing these novels gives me an opportunity to, to explore that as well, having that personal experience where, um, you, you experience these things and how that affects you and how it affects your relationships. And um, hopefully that's another element of authenticity that comes into these novels. 
Um, from what you've written so far, what's been your most fun scene or your most fun chapter to write? And what's been the most difficult? Ooh, good question. Um, let me think. The most fun chapter to write. The most difficult chapter, let's start with that. That was the first chapter of the first book. Um, this is this incident that I told you about. Well, I didn't really tell you about the incident, but, um, and I won't tell you the incident because it will spoil the, what happens in the chapter, but there was something happened to me in my first year. Um, it's, a, it's more of a sense of something that almost happened rather than something that did happen. But what almost happened is so unthinkable so utterly unthinkable that, um, and it was so close, so close, um, that that's what haunted me. It's this atrocious thing that almost happened. Um, and I, I couldn't escape it for years, I couldn't escape it. I mean, in fact, when I went to see John, I was desperate to ask him if he, about that night, whether he remembered it in the same way I did. And, uh, and I only had to kind of utter a few words and I saw his, his body tighten up and I knew that he remembered it in the same way that I did as well. So that was the most difficult chapter to write, but also the easiest chapter to write at the same time because it's so vivid in my mind. Um, so to answer your question, to use the same incident twice, I'm cheating, I know, but um, the, yeah, it was so difficult in terms of reliving it, um, but very easy to relive it because it's so vivid, even after all these years. Um, taste, smells, um, and emotions were, were right there. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was also a very cathartic experience, I think. I thought about it less after getting it down on paper. So I'm, I'm glad, glad to have got it, sort of exercise the demon in a certain respect. But yeah, uh, simultaneously the easiest and hardest chapter so far. So when I go up to bed, I'm just going to grab your book and read the first chapter <laughs> because I'm intrigued now. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we get you. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I will get around to reading them all, but I think I bought nine books at Bloody Scotland, and that's not including all the arts I already have to read and the beaters I have to read and the vulgar books I have to read. <laughs> so, you know. It's not a bad job. If, uh, reading books is... Uh, yeah, I mean, I... I Quite often, between the writing and the and the dog shop, um, I find myself scrabbling for time to read. And um, at the moment, I go for a I go for a walk with my ten month old son in the evenings to give to give mum a break. And uh, there's an old, not not abandoned hospital, but a, a kind of mainly disused hospital near to where I live. It sounds creepier than it is, um, but they have lovely grounds there, and you can wander around and. It's, Although it's in the centre of Edinburgh, it's, um, it's closed off to traffic mainly. And you, I can wander around there. And when he falls asleep, there's lots of benches that I can quickly sit down and answer a few emails. And then I get to pick up a book. And, uh, and so at the moment, I'm reading Cloud Atlas. I, mean, I must be the last person on earth to read Cloud Atlas. But um, I didn't jump on it like everybody else did. You know, everybody was reading Cloud Atlas. Nobody was talking about it. So I didn't read it, you know, out of belligerence, you know, out of rebelliousness but I finally picked it up and I realized what all the hype is about it's fantastic so I'm I'm loving that at the moment so when I get uh so when he falls asleep I I'm grabbing my my 20 minutes to sit down and, and crack open my book and I'm I, yeah so it really is a privilege yeah I've not read it yet too many arcs I just have no time <laughs> yeah yeah and doing all these like my third of tonight so yeah. If only I could get paid for it, then I wouldn't have to go to Greg's anymore. Absolutely. That's a dream, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. But I wouldn't charge you because it's hard enough already. So <laughs> bit of a catch-22, that. Yeah. Well, what, you, what you need is, is publishers to come to you and, uh, yeah. And offer me lots of money, yeah. That's it. That's the way to yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that, but, yeah, <laughs> that would be nice. Um, totally forgot what I was going to ask you next now. I'm so easily distracted, it's ridiculous. That's why it's easier if you just talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Have you made lots of author friends since you became a writer? <laughs> Not really, because um, this has all happened during the most antisocial period in, in modern history. Um, so I, I talked about the UNESCO thing, the UNESCO City Literature Trust, 
2015, uh, we were, I think there were 17 of us selected as emerging writers. And I still have um, a lovely group of friends amongst them. So I do have some great author friends. Um, in fact, I just, just bumped into one the other day, David McPherson, who was a short story writer when we were both selected for um, the City of Literature Trust. He went on to do script writing and I actually bumped into him at the top of Arthur's seat. I don't know if you know Edinburgh well, but it's a, it's a big hill. It's a dormant volcano um, in the city centre of Edinburgh. Um, um, honestly, it's true. And uh, it, it looks down upon the whole, the whole thing. And it's, it's an amazing spot in Edinburgh. And I was at the top of there and I bumped into David and uh, I was aware of David's most recent success. So I was desperate to say hello to him. Uh, I find out what he was doing. We were due to go to for a pint um, the next week or two. But he went on to write a script called The Rig, which has just fin finished filming here in Edinburgh. And it's going to be a massive six-part Amazon Prime um, supernatural thriller. Um, so as much as I think I'm doing pretty well, you have these bloody superstars who upstage you at every at every point. So uh, now I'm thrilled for David and I'm looking forward to catching up and seeing hearing what he's been up to and, and what, what he's got coming. And, um, but no, there's lots of people there that I, I made friends with and uh, we're still keeping in touch. You know. Edinburgh is a, it's a, it must be one of the smallest cities you'll ever, because it's certainly one of the smallest capital cities. Um, so we're a tight, we're a tight group here. And uh, so, yeah, I do have some lovely friends and um, yeah, it's always good to have a, a moan when things are, are tough and, and somebody to be happy for you when things are going well. And we reciprocate all of these things. And you keep going to the festivals, um, then you'll get to know everybody as well, I find. So. I'm sure. Yeah, although despite the fact that I've been talking and talking, I'm actually really shy. So I, there was a room full of really famous writers at Bloody Scotland and I didn't do anything about it. I didn't go and say hello to them. You had Val McDermott, uh, Ian Rankin, um, Doug Johnston. Um, you had one of my... Favourites whose name has just gone straight out of my head. Uh, Chris Brookmeyer uh, was there, and I was desperate to say hello to these people, but it's just not me. I'm just I'm too shy. Um, so, you know, maybe I'll, I'll bump into them at future events, and I'll pluck up the courage to say hello. But um, no, I, I just kind of hid in the corner with my author pass and tried not to look like I was <laughs> like like stolen it from someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i tell people i'm shy and they don't believe me but i really am as well and i went to harrogate this year for the first time which is the first festival i'd ever been to and i mean i've interviewed um authors uh some of the people that i saw and i was still too shy to go off and say hello even though mm. technically they should know who i am so i've spoke to them but yeah well i, I remember I remember when I was selected for, so when I read my short story at the book festival in 2015, um, that was my first taste of all of this. And I was backstage at the Edinburgh Book Festival and there was Gordon Brown, the ex-Prime Minister, who I didn't care about. <laughs> and there was Dr. Uh, is it Robert Winston from the TV with the big moustache. He was in another corner. And then and again, I didn't really care about that. So none of this was phasing me. Uh, I was sat on a little bench with, a, with one of my free sandwiches and um, reading my story over and over. But then who walked past was um, Patrick Ness, who I adore. I absolutely love Patrick Ness. And it's my big regret to this day that I didn't even just go up, you know, not even for an, an autograph or, or anything or a photograph. I just wish I'd gone up and said thank you for the books, you know, that um, I really wish I had. But uh, the opportunity passed me by. I was too shy. So I need to go over that because uh, these opportunities that, um, that I've had might never come around again. So um, I really should be grabbing them. But yeah, so I, I, know, I know exactly where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, uh, I got over it a little bit at Bloody Scotland and I was taking a piss out of Mark Bellingham for not remembering my name. <laughs> <laughs> so you can. And they're so lovely. All of you, all of you are so lovely. So... No. They won't bite. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I, yeah. So those that I did speak to, they were all lovely. Um, certainly, I, I enjoyed uh, the little interactions that I had, and the organisers there are also authors, and um, it was lovely seeing them. And 
Um, I've been chatting to them on Twitter and on email for all this time. So to actually put some, um, you know, fight, you know, to meet them in person was, was lovely. And uh, for them to get to know me a little bit um, can only be a good thing. You know, maybe they'll be introduced. Uh, maybe I'll be invited back for different things. And I guess being an ex-police officer, it may be useful um, to have that perspective for them. Um, fingers crossed, I'll come back and, uh, and you know, give my input into crime fiction from the other side. Uh, do you know who Sharon Burden? Did you see Sharon Burden? I didn't know. She, um, I interviewed her last year, and her dream was to um, be on a panel at Bloody Scotland, which she was this year. But she oh, started no. off as a blogger. Mm. Um, and then she wrote a book. Uh, so she attended Bloody Scotland for years because she's a mad blogger. She went to all the festivals and then, yeah, she achieved her dream and she got to be on a panel this year. Oh, fantastic. That's lovely. So thing. you never know in yeah. your future. Absolutely. Yeah, so they keep working, keep working. Yeah. And um, do you or have you had much feedback from readers so far? Uh, the feedback that I have seen is lovely, but I avoid reviews like the plague. Um, now and again, I'll get the odd message to my website or on Twitter, and it's lovely, and it's um, it's a real thrill. And um, in fact, the last one that I had was, uh, there was an article came out here in the evening news newspaper when, it, when, it, the, when the first novel came out, Out in the Cold, and um, I was interviewed by a local paper here in Edinburgh and they did a lovely huge spread on the release of the first book and um, the, the, they grabbed hold of the Stephen King angle and, and they kind of ran riot with it a little bit. Um, and so, so around the world, uh, Stephen King fan um, pages, bloggers have been grabbing a hold of this. And, there was, I suddenly got this email in broken English from Buenos Aires um, because the article had been rehashed in a, um, in a magazine in Argentina um, about the Stephen King connection. And so I had a message from, a, from someone there asking, you know, that the, the book's only in English, is, will it be coming out in Spanish? And uh, so the interaction has been really lovely. But yeah, I do, I do avoid um, reviews so um, you'll have to tell me if it's doing well, but I think it's doing okay. Um, certainly if the publishers are wanting me to write a third book um, and talking about you know, a new contract, then uh, this seems to be doing okay. So yeah, I, I just have to assume that the reviews aren't too horrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I'm intrigued now, I wanna go look. <laughs> yeah, don't tell me, don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> You're never gonna be tempted. One day you've got to, surely, you've uh, got to go no. check well, them out. Well, my theory is, because I, I could, if I sat and read reviews, when the Stephen King book came out, I did read reviews and, you know, you would read uh, 10 lovely reviews and then you read one horrible review and that's the only one that you would remember. And, you know, it would sit with you all day. And so I thought, well, if I can't handle reading bad reviews, then I don't deserve to read the good ones. You know, you, you can't, you can't live life like that. I think you just, you have to accept everything or, or just stay off of it. So I stay off of it. I, I, I don't go near that stuff. Um, I just keep working hard and we'll see where it takes us. Just, just looking. <laughs> I'm just, I, I mean, I couldn't resist. Five star, five star, five star, five star, five star, five star, five star. Bloody hell, man. <laughs> yeah, you should read your reviews. They're pretty good. Uh, I, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I, I'll just keep, I'll just keep working and, uh, no, and as long as the, the publisher are, um, are asking for more, then I know I'm going in the right direction. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, literally, that's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. The first eight are all five star reviews. So I think you're fine. You've, I think you've got this. That's, <laughs> we're doing something right. That's good. Yeah. Well, you are. I'm just talking to you. <laughs> um. Is there a standout moment, as you've obviously had quite a few cool moments so far since you became an author, is there one that stands out more than anything else? It's hard to beat a personal message from Stephen King in a book. I, no, there's, there's, been, there's been so many lovely little moments, 
Um, yeah, signing books at Bloody Scotland and being on stage there is fantastic. Being on stage at the Edinburgh Book Festival, um, finding out that I just got a book deal, um, getting the get, getting the cover art through for the book, opening. I, I, <laughs> there's a big thing on Twitter with authors opening boxes of their book when it arrives, and um, I started calling it my uh, what I call it? I call it my George McFly day. Um, I think it's gathered a little bit of momentum. I think other authors are calling it George McFly day because I remember. I don't know if you remember the film Back to the Future, but um, when I was a kid, I must have, what hell was I in Back to the Future came out? So 1985, I was eight years old when Back to the Future came out. And um, and I, this goes back to the, you know, the previous point when I said that the first thing I ever wanted to do was to write books. And so at the end of the movie, when Marty McFly wakes up in his bed and everything is perfect, and he goes downstairs and there's his dad opening a box of his own books. I remember saying to my mum, how cool would that be to open a box of your own books? And so I call it George McFly Day when, when those books turn up and, uh, and they're really special moments to me. Um, you get this, this profound clarity moment where, you know, everything's happened in a bit of a haze and, you walk into Waterstones and your book is on the shelf, which is just nuts. Um, but but that, that moment of opening a box of your own books, because of that movie um, and that dream that kind of sat with me from when I was eight years old, um, it's a special moment. So I, I will always be, uh, I'll always be tweeting about my, my George McFly days. They're really special. Yeah, I might have to go back and watch that. I won't <laughs> tell you how old I was in 1985. <laughs> <laughs> I was just a little bit younger. <laughs> Not much. I was alive, so. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, too young to be watching Back to the Future. I think somebody somebody described it. I can't remember who. It was Mark Kermode described it as the perfect movie. And it's hard to it's hard to argue. I think. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, the, yeah, characters and actors and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It's good a, lovely, a lovely round narrative, which you have to love. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which puts me off again asking, I don't know, I'm so easily distracted <laughs> um, okay so apart from your shop and your son and your writing what do you enjoy doing? There's not much time left Donna That's, No I didn't well... think there would be <laughs> <laughs> um, when, when the world isn't burning Edinburgh is a lovely city to be out and about in to uh, to go and get something to eat, to go for a walk. And um, I, I, do, I do a lot of running um, because I, like, I, I love all that eating. So I, I, have to, you have to flip that coin. And um, so I do a lot of running. I, I, do, I read as much as I can, whenever I can. Um, and that, that, that sounds like about 30 hours a day. And so you need to try and kind of squeeze all that in. Um, but yeah, since the wee fella came along, then um, there's not much time for much else. So yeah, you find me rushing back from work, uh, kind of usually around sort of 2 or 3 p.m. And um, I quickly, you know, dump my bag, change to my other bag with my laptop, run to the cafe, sit down with my cup of tea, and that's me until they kick me out. Um, they usually start making noises around, they start banging on the coffee machine pretty hard about five minutes before I know that the, uh, the polite, please get out of our establishment comes along. And that's me, that's, that's, uh, that's work. That's, um, and, but I wouldn't change it. It's um, between all the doggy cuddles I get at the shop and, uh, and, you know, and all of this stuff that happens as a result of writing the stories, I'm, I'm very lucky. So uh, no complaints about being busy, particularly in 2021, there's a, uh, I'll never complain about being busy, not at all. It's funny you say about the coffee. I, at work, I turn the lights off. I tell you what, it works a treat every time, <laughs> especially that's, when you, you do the, it and someone's in the shop. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the pub tactic, isn't it? Yeah. Or you turn all the lights on in the pub. That's the opposite, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, it, it works an absolute treat every time. It does make me laugh. 
I just want to go home. That's fair enough, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if you were able to travel to any period of time, either forwards or backwards, where would you like to go? Mm. Well, do you know, I was talking to somebody about, about this the other day, about how unstable the world feels right now. But when I was a kid, in between, you know, the 80s and 90s, um, things just felt so stable and safe. And uh, I'd probably go back there. The early 90s, when the music was really good, uh, when, I was, when I was 14, the whole grunge thing was happening. And so all of my friends and I, we got really into Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains and Sonic Youth. And um, I'd go back there when the world was safe and, uh, and the music was good. There was a music scene and um, yeah, I'd probably go back there and hang out with those guys again. Probably a little bit boring. It's probably more interesting times and in, in kind of far off history. But I just go back to when the world wasn't burning and everything was pretty cool. So 1992, let's go there. <laughs> yeah, I remember the music as the night is being rubbish. I don't know if it's slightly younger. But... Maybe. It depends what scene you were into, I think. But the whole alternative thing from the States in Seattle was just, I think, I always think of it as the, the last proper music scene before things got a bit weird and, um, you know, albums sort of didn't really come out anymore and now and it's all kind of singles and shuffle culture and so on. But I remember, to tell you a quick story, um, one, of the, one of the guys at work, um, she was, she's so much younger than I am, but we're chatting about music and she, I was asking her, you know, what, what music do you listen to? And she mentioned, she rattled off a number of bands and I think I knew one of them. And um, so we got to this conversation about music, modern music and the stuff that I'm into. And, uh, and I said, it was a shame that the shuffle culture had come along, that people don't really sit and listen to albums start to finish. And that, you know, bands, you know, they, they, sometimes there's a, nar a narrative within an album, you know, they're, they're, there's a, they're, they're in that series of um, the sequence, you know, for a reason. And, um, and I was saying, you know, that there used to be a, um, an unofficial um, structure to an album and that you had your, your number one first track was always the big single off the album. And then your other singles always formed the first side. So the side A of, of, of your album was always the, kind of all the singles. And on the side B was more for the fans, you know, the kind of Uber fans. You had the more cult songs on there. And then your the loudest song of the album is always side one. So there's always song one of side B. And, and this lady, this young lady looked at me and said, and I swear this is true. She said, what do you mean side B? Because <laughs> all she, the, the, the earliest she knew was CDs where there's no such thing as side B. She didn't know about LPs and tapes. And so that was, hor that was a horrifying moment. Um, she had no idea what side B was. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a bad time, isn't it? I um, have you seen a video of kids trying to figure uh, figure out how a tape works and how to no. get music out of it? Yeah. Oh my god, just it'll make you all cry. It's so depressing. They are like <laughs> holding it up to their ear, and they're saying they put their earphones. Oh my god. Oh god, yeah, that'll make you feel old in a minute. Yeah, I um because I was a mature student. Um, my uni friends generally asked me how we used to do our homework before the internet. Like, how do you think <laughs> we had to manage it was fine we coped with you know encyclopedia britannica and libraries and stuff and pen and paper yeah, yeah that was... you, had, you had to read the whole textbook not just the wikipedia page yeah 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 that was a depressing conversation i'm like and I always kept saying I was old and they're like, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm like, I am compared to you. I don't even know what you lot are talking about. It's like you're talking another language. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, I can't think of any more questions unless you think there's anything that I haven't asked you that you want to tell us. No, I think I, I think I rattled through my most of my life story in the first 10 minutes. So I think, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's all I have. Good stuff. Well, I'm sure I could think of some more stuff to ask you, but we'll wait till your next book's out. Sure. Uh, so um, the uh, the next book, hopefully um, early next year, I think we'll be looking 
for book three. And uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll keep running back from the doggy shop and getting my words down. And um, yeah, we'll see where it takes us. Fabulous. Well, before we go, would you like to just remind everyone uh, if you have a copy of your book to hand, what it looks like, where they can get it from, and where they can find out more about you, if they say wish. Sure. Yeah, so um, the first book is Out in the Cold, um, available from wherever you buy your books, I think. Uh, but by all means, go to your local bookshop and ask them to order it in. If they don't have a copy, just ask them to order it in. They'll get it in within a few days for you. And um, so that was the first one. Second one was Into the Dark. Um, that's the most recent one that came out in July this year. And uh, again, um, you don't necessarily have to go online to buy it. You can go into your local bookshop, ask them to get it in for you. They'll be there within a couple of days. So support your local bookshop. Um, if you do want to find a copy of Six Scary Stories Selected and Introduced by Stephen King, you might have more of a task on your hand. It's available um, on Amazon through uh, audiobook and ebook and other places too, maybe. I don't know. And um, But if you want a physical copy, you have to kind of go to the, the States, go to the sites in the States to find it. Um, a bit rarer to find one of these in the UK. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's all I have. Um, and where can they find about you if, if you want to, you know, get a bunch of stalkers or something to support you? <laughs> well, you can follow me. I think mostly I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter. So you can get me at, um, at story underscore Stuart, at story underscore Stuart at, uh, on Twitter. Um, and you can find me there and you can look back at all the nonsense I've been tweeting and uh, updates on when new stories are coming out. And I do have a website, which is storystuart.com. And uh, I, I'm not as active on there as I should be, but uh, details of, of new publish, publications will be coming out there as well. Fabulous. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Good to speak to you.